BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ben Jarofsky Show. For your Friday, December 4th, our host just had a breakthrough, an online breakthrough. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes. Share it with us. I don't even know how to articulate this. I need a millennial to help me explain this. But I was on one side of the Internet talking to Dr. D on Google Meet, and I clicked a button saving the Dr. D tab went somewhere else uh, to check the spelling of a name that I'm using in my opening and then came back to Dr. D. In other words, I didn't check out of the Google meet and go, I was really like Mark Zuckerberg there, D. (laughs) One proud producer over here right now. Okay. Ben, I'm so proud of you. You're figuring out the internet. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Oh, God. I got Zoom in my phone now. So my uh, youngest oh, wow. daughter put the Zoom. So now I could do Zoom without begging my way. Honey, can you help me with the Zoom? Oh, okay. Uh, the Jarofsky household's <laughs> a more peaceful place these days now, I assume. Oh, God. I am clueless. I admit it, ladies and gentlemen. I admit it. All right, your clueless Ben Jarofsky show is moments away. But before we do this, let's thank these sponsors. The Chicago Reader. Love the Chicago Reader? Check out the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com, uh, to find out what's going on in the city of Chicago. Uh, ben, your latest article. Tell us a little bit about your latest article in the Chicago Reader, if you could. My latest? Oh, it's Chicago City Council. Yes, I had a lot of fun with this. I just noted, you know, I took a little deep dive and all my, uh, our listeners are, let's face it, they follow Chicago politics as much as I do the, you know, the diehard listeners. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about when you have committee chairs, you're supposed to be loyal to the mayor, supposed to vote the mayor's budget. Isn't it interesting that the three committee chairs, uh, that voted no got to keep their committee chairmanship, all the trappings and the power that comes with it. Young Tom Tunney, the 44th ward zoning chair, perhaps one of the, the, it was one of the high profile positions you can have in the city council. Matt O'Shea for the 19th ward, Beverly gets aviation. Uh, and of course, Harry Osterman, the housing, uh, committee chair of Edgewater. So things are changing in the city council. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot may have told Jeanette Taylor, uh, if you vote no on my budget, don't come to me for shit. But it's a different attitude, I guess, with uh, North Side Alderman and North and Southwest Side Alderman. Hey, you can vote no, sure, and still be a committee chair. So I just explored that a little bit, D. I did a little exploration. There you go. There you go. That column and more on the Chicago Reader, all right? Subscribe, especially if you want to show that you support the Ben Jarofsky Show. Remember to subscribe. Oh, and also, Ben, remember uh, yesterday we had a little powwow, uh, another breakthrough online. Ben, you have the mute button. Oh, I forgot about that. Hold on. Your Google Wait. Hold on. Here we go. He's Wait. learned he has the mute button, guys. Wait, uh-oh. Wait, I just oh, <laughs> pushed the wrong button. Boy. Oh, uh, boy. Right, here we go. Oh, where'd he go? Where did he go? Ben? Hello? Hello? Ben? Okay, please hit unmute. You're scaring me. I'm sorry. Okay. Here I am. <laughs> okay, okay. See, right. what you missed was this sound. <laughs> but I wanted to do this. But that would be unprofessional. That would be unlike WGN and WBZ. So instead of hearing this... 
I put the mute button on. We haven't got that email on. Uh, what the hell's up with that bottle cap yet? But I feel it coming in 2021. So, Yo, D, I, this could be uh, my audition for BEZ. Ben Jarofsky here, WBEZ. Of fascinating news, Madigan. Very ironic. All right. Check out the Chicago Reader. Subscribe. Show that you support the Ben Jarofsky Show by subscribing. Uh, it's a fantastic publication. Okay. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. On to your song of the day, Ben. Uh, you got two choices here, all right? Uh, oh, thank God. Jim, now, usually Frank is first. Boom. Every day, right there with the song of the day. But Jim actually beat him to the punch today. Uh, mm -hmm. So he picked a song. And if you don't know it, we'll see if you know Frank's song. All right. So all right. Jim's song is Mystery Ship by Grand Funk Railroad. Uh, uh, Grand Funk Railroad. I know. Uh, we're an American band. Wow, 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 wow. Can I just sing a different Grand Funk Railroad song? You know what? We'll take that one. The Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show starts now. It is Friday, December 4th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here calling this. Look what I found Friday. And here's why. Well, as we all know, ladies and gentlemen, MAGA is in an uproar. Their boy, President Donnie, lost the election. And they're throwing a massive hissy fit. As in, we lost. It's like father like son. You've heard of that? Well, this is like president like MAGA. Poor losers. Both of them. And it starts at the top. But MAGA's taking it an extra step. They're threatening the lives of vote counters and secretaries of states and governors and Republicans and Democrats alike. Everyone they can find a scapegoat to blame for the simple fact that Joe Biden just whooped Donald Trump by almost, I don't I've lost track. I think it's 7 million votes, something like that. I haven't been paying attention. That's million with an M, ladies and gentlemen. But there's one case with truly dubious circumstances that MAGA is curiously quiet about, as in, cats got your tongue, MAGA? Meow! Welcome to the 22nd Congressional District in upstate New York, one of those purple districts, not unlike our very own 14th right here in Illinois. What up, Lauren Underwood? It swings red one election and then blue the next. The incumbent in the 22nd is Anthony Brindisi, a Democrat. The challenger is Claudia Tenney, a Republican. Brindisi, Brindisi. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd like that name. She used to be the congresswoman from the district. So as you can see, swings one way, swings the other. There's an old song. Frank knows it. This door swings both ways. This door. Anyway, sorry. On election night. Claudia Tenney, the Republican, was winning because, as we all know, President Donnie instructed Republicans to vote in person, not by mail, uh, even though he voted by mail. I don't know. It's confusing. And Republicans do whatever Donnie tells them as opposed to whatever Donnie does. So, whoop, brown line going by. Hold on. Let the brown line pass. Chugga, chugga, choo, choo. Hey, Rom, how you doing? So, uh, so as I said, election <laughs> on election night, Claudia Tenney was winning big uh, because they count the in-person ballots first. But as the mail-in votes got counted, uh-oh, Brindisi, Brindisi, closed the Brindisi. gap. And then he went ahead. Then he fell behind. Meanwhile, the reporters are like sports writers at a tennis match. If you could see me, my head's moving one way into the other. It's McEnroe versus Bjorn. Two tennis players from the 80s. That's what it's like, ladies and gentlemen, a tennis match. Uh, and as the reporter. Wait, what's it like again? What's a, what's a tennis match like again? <laughs> Thank you for asking. I thought that was great. Yeah. Great special effects. Can we just hear it one more go. time? 
but you got to see it, D. My head's going left, then it goes right. Because, you know, in a tennis match, you watch the ball go that way, and then you watch the ball go that way. I love tennis, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. Britain D, easy. He closed the gap. Then he went ahead. Then he fell behind. And then she's ahead. And now he's ahead. And last I saw, she was up. The Republican was up by 12 votes. 12 votes. And meanwhile, reporters going berserk following this thing, revealing all kinds of interesting things like the case of the missing post-it notes, post-it notes, which had mysteriously fallen off a stack of disputed ballots, making it unclear whether they'd been counted and whether they had been challenged. The scandal has been christened Sticky Gate by local media. Well, I guess, D, we're not the only people who just throw gate on the end of anything. Although we throw it on anything. Like today, for instance, I'd call it Dr. D gate. I don't because, no, that was yesterday when you didn't answer your phone. I was like, where's Dr. D? Dr. D gate. Anyway, the local media in upstate New York called it sticky gate. Then there was this big doozy. Follow me on this, folks. With the Republican Tenney up by only 12 votes, somehow or other, they discovered 55 in-person ballots that apparently had been, quote, mislaid and never counted. Huh? How do you discover mislaid ballots? Here's more details. Quote, 11 of the ballots are invalid, officials said, because the voters weren't registered. Huh? How did unregistered people get to vote? But wait, there's more. Of the remaining 44 ballots, most were cast by, drumroll, Republicans, which favors Tenney, who holds the 12-vote lead. Say what? Or as Pat Whalen would say, wait, what? Or is it, wait, who? I forget the line. I blew it again. Let's read that again, ladies and gentlemen, because I really want to impress upon you. (laughs) This little tidbit from the 22nd Congressional District election in New York. Quote, of the remaining 44 ballots, most were cast by Republicans, which should favor Miss Tenney, who holds the 12-vote lead. So let me get this straight. You mean you just happen to find 44 ballots that just happen to be cast by a Republican, helping the Republican who had a 12-vote lead? Hmm. Hey, Rudy, Giuliani. Spray on some spray paint and get over there and hold a press conference. But of course, you're not going to see Rudy running anywhere or Alwyn Wood or attorney Sidney Powell or any of the other dubious characters who've been claiming fraud to help Donnie Trump. And if dubious electioneering in the basement of some Republican courthouse in New York state helps a Republican Well, you are not going to hear anything but radio silence from MAGA. Look, folks, I'm going to be all bipartisan with what I'm about to say. This is not a perfect system. It's run by humans. As such, there will be mistakes. As such, it's possible that ballots will be mislaid. Boxes will be put in one place and then they'll forget where they were. And yes, there will will be people who will try to cheat. And there will be people who get really mad when they lose, and then they'll get really cocky when they win, and they'll argue fraud if that helps their case, and they'll argue against fraud if that uh, helps their case. There'll be bad winners and poor losers. The winners will say, just get over it. (laughs) Remember Scalia? Just get over it as he snatched the election away from Al Gore. And then the losers will be going, it's the principle of the thing. Democracy is at stake. This has been going on for a long time, folks, with close elections. Every every cycle has a close election, which got somebody in tears and someone going, Phew, thank God I dodged that bullet. But, of course, the Biden-Trump election was nothing like that. It wasn't an election decided by 12 votes with 44 ballots suddenly being discovered in the basement somewhere. No, no. It was a trouncing. I think I read this somewhere that uh, Trump was trounced more than any other incumbent president since Jimmy Carter. He was trounced. So they really are stretching this thing to claim hoax. 
And they're really quiet when they find 44 ballots somewhere in a courthouse that benefits the Republican. Look, folks, like I said, I'm trying to be bipartisan. I'm trying to be, you know, like one of those. I really am finding my inner WBEZ. You know what I'm saying? Great. I'm really trying. I just put in a new application there, (laughs) sent in my resume. I'm glad you're feeling it. Maybe it'll work out. They always always go, well, you know, like the story could be about Republicans up to no good, but they'll find something Democrats did bad just to show that, you know, they're not partisans. And so that's me. I'm really doing that. But it's hard to be bipartisan when Donnie's mobilized MAGA, when he's got people out in the streets threatening the lives of anybody who doesn't state the obvious. Anyway, I'm trying to be bipartisan, but the other side's got a long way to go. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Sane will be here. Chicago Sun Times uh, editory, uh, editory, uh, editor and columnist, and a woman who plays it by the book. You will never know where Ramana Sane stands on uh, any political issue, D, because she's from the old school. None of this partisan, wearing your heart on your yeah, sleeve yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying, D? Huh? Yeah, huh? Yeah, huh? Yeah, she'll let Get it slip every now and again, you know? Every now and again, <laughs> then she goes, uh, can you erase that? <laughs> My favorite is Maya, the most openly lefty person I know. I bet I'm not going to tell you who I voted for because that would be wrong. Hmm, I wonder who you voted for. Anyway, we have a great show ahead of us, plenty of political talk. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man MAGA, oh, and Daga, that's... <laughs> I just made that up. Who? Daga? Daga. That's Democrats. Great again. I got to work on that one. Uh, They both agree he's widely known as Dr. D with the news. I wish you would have ran that Daga thing (laughs) by me on the pre-show prep, buddy. Could have saved you there. Could have saved you there. I got this great concept. Uh, We got MAGA, right? I'm just just, just, just listening to me, D. How about Daga? (laughs) <laughs> hey guys, I'm Dennis. What's going on? Uh, before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, well, we need to take a little time to try and convince all of you listening at the moment to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. That's right. While we're away, a brand new Ben Jarofsky interview for you to play. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, available by 5 a.m. at the Chicago Reader website or wherever else you download podcasts. Here's this weekend's lineup. On Saturday, we had a big get. He's the producer of the Netflix hit, The Queen's Gambit. Ben, tell us about this Benny J. Bonus interview on Saturday. want to thank Joan, uh, a... um very loyal listener to the show. Turns out her son is the producer of Queen's Gambit, not just Queen's Gambit, which is the number one movie in Netflix. Uh, but uh, the guy's got 30 years in the business. He's produced a lot of movies. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, he came on. It was a blast. And I know he wanted to come on and talk. He's a good sport. I know he wanted to come on and talk about Queen's Gambit. But, you know, like after about, I don't know, five, ten minutes of that, boom, let's talk movies, man. <laughs> We just took the deep dive on movies. You know, everybody, I'm a movie fanatic, and this guy knows his movies. Obviously, Bill Horsberg has got about 30 years in the business or so as a producer, so we talk about, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, Harvey Weinstein got a little discussion time in that one because he's uh, Harvey distributed some movies that Bill uh, produced down through the years. Uh, He talked about the ups and the downs of trying to raise the money, and sometimes you have to invest like 10, 15 years in a project. And uh, so fascinating uh, talk. Really enjoyed this conversation uh, with Bill, and I'm hoping to make him, you know, a regular. Get him. I'm really hope to get him with Sergio Mims. That's what I was going to say. Those two guys. That, yeah, that'd be Holy awesome. Dumb, yeah, Sergio Mims, Black Harvest Film Festival. I always said Sergio. Nobody knows movies more than Sergio. This guy, Sergio Mims, is his. It's prodigious 
the amount of information he has about movies. But I think Horsberg might give him a run for his money. So that'd be interesting to get him on the show together. Maybe do an Oscar show. I don't know. Anyway, Ooh, okay. uh, tomorrow, yeah, Saturday show, uh, Bill Horsberg. It's a great one, if I must say so myself. Yes, listen as a host nerds out and goes off into movie land, and our guest <laughs> brings him right back into reality. Hey, talk about my movie. It's, a- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what happened. That did happen. The Queen's Gambit. <laughs> You'd be like, all right, right now, tell me your top favorite movie of all time. Well, and then he, oh, well, I got to say, my new movie coming out is uh, pretty good. Like, ah, there we go. <laughs> It's not his first uh, rodeo here, but uh, it was a great interview. It's going to be available tomorrow by 5 a.m. On Sunday, we're bringing you First Tuesday. It was Tuesday, December 1st, a virtual First Tuesday with Ben Jarofsky and our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masova, at the hideout with guests Peter P.C. Cunningham and Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez. Ben of what ward? 33rd. Come on. Your ward. Dr. D's ward. Your Alderwoman. Yes, that is. He's still got it, guys. Uh, the folks at the hideout were kind enough to record the show and send it my way. So we're going to make it available by download on Sunday by 5 a.m. You enjoyed that uh, first Tuesday, right? Yeah, it was uh, It was a lot of fun. Everybody was in their best behavior. Everybody was respectful. You know, and uh, folks, there's an ongoing struggle in my beloved Democratic Party between people of the uh, lefty persuasion and centrists. We're seeing it played out in so many ways. Uh, Sean, I don't know if we'll get around to talking about this today, but uh, Congressman Sean Maloney will now be running the, uh, the, uh, the what is it, DCCC. He's replaced Sherry Bustos, uh, and he is... He's determined to win back seats that the Dems lost in this round to hold on to that uh, majority that they have in the House of Representatives, getting a little closer. That's why that election in New York is so important. The one where they found the 44 ballots, you know, that election. Uh, so, uh, you know, how do you bridge the gap between Demo- uh, lefties and uh, centrists? And uh, Rosanna is a socialist, an avowed socialist, and PC is an avowed centrist. But you know what? They were respectful. They didn't yell at each other. They let each other finish his or her thoughts. I wish... Uh, they could like make carbon copies of Peter Cunningham and distribute him around uh, the, 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 the the Democratic Party. So they weren't like centrists get such a bad name because of people like uh, Rahm Emanuel. Uh, so arrogant. But uh, they were um, they were some common ground, particularly on police issues, police reform issues. So uh, interesting discussion about the future of the Democratic Party, and what Dems could do to. Uh, Unite for once, and uh, as as opposed to fight, not fight, unite. So that'll be uh, Sunday. Available on Sunday, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez and Peter Cunningham, PC. Get this, Ben. PC, partially centrist, huh? Right. Ready to get her? Mm, well, oh, you God like is that? He good. I'm pretty good. God is he good. <laughs> It'll be available on Sunday morning. Oh, real quick, shout out to the live stream chat. Uh, Frank, we love you, pal. Uh, and boy, I really wish you would have ran that DAGA bit by me before the show. Uh, Frank <laughs> says DAGA actually means Democratic Attorney General Association. So it's taken. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> and Frank, for some reason, did. <laughs> I want something that goes with MAGA. You know, I really want it. You know, and DAGA, MAGA, eh, whatever. And finally, uh, on Monday, available at 5 a.m., it's the long-awaited return of Lakeisha Collins. We haven't talked to her in quite some time. Isn't that right? Yeah, Lakeisha was a candidate uh, when we talked to her. Now she's a state rep from the West Side. A fascinating uh, personal story. Um, she was awarded the state and I don't think she graduated uh, from high school. Uh, she had a child at a very early age, and sort of her life was saved when she got a job at a nursing home. And um, uh, she worked in the dementia unit. And she talks about what, how the difficulties of that job, particularly the terrible pay. And really, we were talking about this in the context of the ongoing nursing home strike uh, that's occurring uh, in the Chicago area. I'm speaking for myself and Dr. D. I know he's with me on this one. We're behind. We're behind the nursing home workers 100%. Come on, guys. Come on, nursing home owners. Stop being cheap, okay? You're trying to the, the the job that 
frontline nursing home workers have is so crucial and so important and so dangerous. They're exposing themselves to to COVID, and uh, you're paying them like 14 bucks an hour is ridiculous. Uh, so we were mostly talking about the life of nursing home workers and the, why they're on strike. But then we got into some political issues and I, gee, I had to throw a tough, a couple of tough Michael Joseph Madigan questions to uh, Lakeisha Collins and we'll see how she did. I thought she handled herself pretty well. You know, Find out how she handled it. Download it on Monday, available by 5 a.m. Lakeisha Collins returns to The Ben Jarofsky Show. It's this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews, available by 5 a.m. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at the Chicago Reader website, uh, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Ben, spell that last name for him. <clears throat> Hold on. Water. Hold on. Water. Here we go. Mm. I should have pushed that little button. I always forget. That's all right. Uh, yeah. J-O-R-A-V, as in victory, as my beloved Bulls will do throughout this season, S-K-Y. That's a weird one. That's how you spell it. Or wherever else you download your favorite <laughs> podcast. Okay, local news. Let's do it. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. And for the record, I love puppies. <laughs> Today, the governor will be at the Thompson Center, obviously for his daily COVID-19 press briefing at 2.30. If there are any major updates coming out of that, I will try to provide those at the end of today's program. Wait, yeah? What? Oh, hold on. What? Okay, Ben, I got our newsroom guy waving at me at the moment. Oh, wow. I forgot about the newsroom. That's now easy easy to do. Easy to do. What's they're that? working out of your apartment now, huh? Yeah, he's at my apartment. He comes in before the show. I kick his ass out after, like, <laughs> five, like not even two minutes after. All right, get lost, pal. What? Okay, okay, we have an update. Let me run to the newsroom real quick. Hang tight, everybody. Go to the newsroom. We'll see what we got here. Hold on. Here we go. Come on, give me the story. You're embarrassing me. What? No. After the show, you're out. <laughs> Yeah, he's a weirdo. I haven't heard the newsroom in a while. Sounds like yeah. it's busy down there. Lucky huh? you. Lucky you. I hear it all the time. All right. Okay. You're kidding me. I'm so sick of this story. We have breaking news. <laughs> Jesus. I hope this is 2020 Illinois general election results. Yeah. The Illinois general election was literally one month ago. On November 4th, and here we are, December 4th, with another damn update. An update on that one Illinois race that will not go away. The 14th Congressional District race between incumbent Democrat Lauren Underwood and the milkman, Jim Oberweiss, will continue to haunt this podcast producer's dreams. Because despite losing by 1.4 percentage points, Jim Oberweiss, the Republican challenger, is launching a discovery recount. Give it up, dude. Here's, <laughs> here's the press release from Oberweiss. Of course, brought to you by Milk. Okay, here we go. Uh, Oberweiss says, quote, Today my campaign has formally initiated the process to begin a discovery recount. We are seeking a discovery recount in each of the seven counties within the 14th Congressional District. A discovery recount does not change a single vote, but it does allow us to see if the outcome might change with a full recount. Election law provides campaigns the ability to request a discovery recount in close elections. As we've said for the last few weeks, we would be seeking a discovery recount, and the first of these recounts have been formally filed in DuPage County. We will be filing paperwork in other counties in the coming days. All right, we heard it about eight times there. A discovery recount. Ben, what the hell does that mean? Well, it means he's on a fishing expedition. Get that fishing rod out. <laughs> And uh, he's looking for any evidence uh, that he can discover that would enable him to go uh, back to a, to a judge and say, hey, I think we should have a full recount because I just discovered, oh, let me think, 44 ballots that just have to be like under a table in some courthouse in DuPage County. Wow, isn't that funny? Uh, much like what went down in the 22nd Congressional District in New York. 
And so uh, then the judge would enable to do the full recount. I, I need an election uh, expert because I my knowledge of election law only goes so far. I need someone like Adolfo Mondragon uh, to come on and explain how far this goes. Like, can they uh, in the if uh, Lauren Underwood is officially certified as a winner, uh, takes an oath of office as uh, Congress, um, and if <laughs> I guess a judge could just. Like in June, I don't, I don't know what the law is, D. Just to say, oh, wait a minute, we found forty-four ballots. Isn't that fun? Forty-four. It was right next to this Oberweiss ice cream container in the uh, storage room of the Oberweiss ice cream factory. So uh, I don't, I don't know what the rules are on that one, D. But it's, it's desperation. I'm sure it's an, uh, also an attempt to raise money. I've not gotten any Oberweiss milk. F- f- no, oh, <laughs> ice cream. Uh, 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 no, uh, fundraising oh. uh, appeals. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, so I don't know if he's out raising money. I know Donald Trump is is just every, God every hour. At least I get ten of them. I think for various people uh, begging me to give money to uh, save save our election fund. Uh, but uh, so yeah, so he's uh, he's keeping it alive. It's pretty obvious. The gap. I forget where the gap was. Uh, I haven't looked in that one in a while, but I think she was, it was, it's pretty obvious that he's not going to find enough ballots in the back rooms of uh, DuPage County. But listen, I I say this again, I've been following these elections a long time. I remember um, back in 1986, I want to say there was a special election to, in the 26th Ward, very important election, the 26th Ward of Chicago, because the winner of that election would determine uh, who controlled the city council. Mayor Harold Washington, the greatest mayor the city of Chicago uh, has ever had, or Fast Eddie Verdoliak. We'll be talking about him in a little while. Uh, one of the sleaziest aldermen that this city has ever had, and that's saying a lot. So this election, whoever won this election would control the city council and it looked as though that uh, Harold's candidate Luis Gutierrez remember that name uh, was the victor and then they found I think it was 12 write-in ballots in city in the bowels of city hall for a guy named Blazinski I think that was his name I'm doing this all from memory ladies and gentlemen it's quite impressive I'm doing this from memory uh, anyway, uh, and so that forced a runoff with uh, Manny Torres and uh, so yeah these things happen you know when they, and when, when they happen, one side invariably is screaming fraud, hoax, rigged. I've been known to scream those things, too. And uh, the other side is saying, uh, come on, stop being a poor loser. By the way, I, this is my, one of my favorite anecdotes. I remember Dennis's good friend, David Axelrod, uh, the noted um, strategist and uh, PR man, uh, campaign advisor to, to Obama and Clinton. At one point, he and his he was the campaign spokesperson for Forrest Claypool, who was running against John Stroger for county board president. And uh, Stroger was uh, in a cult. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. The poor man was in a coma, but he was in a coma and he was victorious. And I voted for him. They, yes, really proud of that vote. OK, that's a good politician and, right there. I voted for the guy in a coma. Uh, and I remember um, Axelrod coming on TV the night of the election and saying, you know, he's not going to concede uh, and then raising all kinds of doubts about the outcome of the election. He goes, you know, the machine. And I, I was sat in there amazed at the dexterity of David Axelrod. This is a man who by then had spent, I forget how many years, as a strategist and advisor to Mayor Daly, the epitome of the machine. And he's crying about the machine. And this is just proves my point. When you lose, the tendency is to blame it on some powerful force that's evil. Even if you're a member of that force in your most of your day job existence, like Axelrod was part of the daily machine part of the daily operation. It was that connection with Daly that got him hooked in with the Clintons and then the Obamas. And, but he was, when, when, when his guy, Forrest Claypool, lost to John Stroger, was like, that machine. You know the machine. <laughs> what machine? Your guy runs the machine. 
So yeah, there's a lot of crybabies on election night. It's that's a tradition, D. So Oberweiss is no different than Donnie, crying like a little baby. You lost. You lost, Oberweiss. You ran a racist campaign. You went up to Kenosha uh, to try to like get the white backlash vote, and Lauren Underwood still beat you. You should just crawl away. Just disappear. You haven't done anything of service or value to the good people of Illinois. Just leave. Go back to running the ice cream factory. I don't know if he has anything to do with the ice cream factory, you. I just said that. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. Can't quit. It's hard to quit. But at some point, someone uh, like of sound mind should say, Jimmy, nah, nah, nah. let it go. That's advice Dennis has given me from time to time when I'm venting some ancient grudge. Yeah, dude, get over it. Yeah, get it. Let it go. Let it go, Benny. Let it go. So I will pass on that sage advice to you, Mr. Overvoice. Let it go. Hey, don't touch my Bud Light seltzers. I'm keeping track. I have six of them. There better be six when you leave. We have more breaking news, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Ferdoliak, come on down. Oh, You're yeah. the next greasy-ass Illinois politician to go back to jail. <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and John Seidel. Former Alderman Edward Verdoliak was just now sentenced to 18 months in prison for wow. in a long-running tax case. Uh, U.S. District Judge Robert Dow called the case, quote, a particularly sorry story because this is two experienced lawyers who were involved in this crime. <laughs> the other was Verdoliak's co-defendant, Daniel Soso. Uh, Verdoliak spoke briefly to the judge, taking off his mask. The 82-year-old apologized. Jay Marie said, uh, what is he, 100? No, Jay Marie, 82. <laughs> 82. I thought he was 83, but I'll, I'll stand by what you said. Go ahead, D. And he said, quote, what happened was my own fault, and I take full responsibility. Uh, ben, go ahead. Take it from here. Wow. I could talk for an hour about Fast Eddie Verdoliak, Chicago politics, council wars, Mayor Washington, Mayor Byrne. And by the way, I just want to give a shout out to Mark Brown. He wrote an excellent column on this subject in today's bright one. Uh, but I could sense the frustration of Mark Brown. Uh, Mark Brown, uh, he's a little younger than I am. Most people are. But he's essentially of the same generation. He's a baby boomer. Uh, and as such, he came of age, politically speaking, as a, a reporter in Chicago uh, during the days of council wars. When Edward R. Verdoliak, whose nickname was Fast Eddie, put together a coalition of white aldermen and one Puerto Rican alderman uh, whose sole purpose was to oppose absolutely everything that Harold Washington did. And the, the prevailing theory, the prevailing philosophy is that, follow me on this, folks, is that if they brought Chicago business to a screeching halt, the business of running government to a screeching halt, the voters would revolt and oust Washington. And that would be in the long-term interests of them. So let's just make things as difficult as you possibly can uh, to run government uh, in the city of Chicago. Fast Eddie Verdoliak, and he used race. That was his tool. He used race, which was interesting because when he got his start, he was known as the guy uh, who could bring uh, black and white Democratic chieftains together. I remember when he was first elected chairman of the Cook County Party, uh, a black committeeman from the South Side, Niles Sherman, I can't believe I remember these names, said that uh, Eddie Verdoliak is going to lead us uh, to the pot of gold on the other end of the rainbow, which was, mm, you know, considering all the corruption in uh, Chicago and Cook County, not a really great metaphor to use, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, anyway, Eddie Verdoliak eventually became a Republican. I say in many ways he was Donald Trump before Donald Trump. All of a sudden, uh, he was appealing uh, to the hardworking white people of the city of Chicago who had been uh, 
ripped off by government that was too far left. I remember him giving a speech once uh, saying, you can't pray in school, but you can get uh, prophylactics in school. I remember him saying condoms. He was outraged because you could get condoms in school, but you couldn't pray in school. I'm like, what is that apropos to anything? Uh, but uh, that was where Eddie Verdoliak was going. And the whole time he was doing this, folks, he had a very, uh, he had a thriving uh, law practice. And he always seemed to be getting in on the goods. You know, he, he, whenever there was there was a deal going down, somehow or other, Eddie Verdoliak was getting a piece of the pie. And uh, this complicated case that Mark Brown uh, did his best to explain to people has to do with the settlement that the state of Illinois got for uh, uh tobacco case and um somehow or other eddie verdolak even though he did no legal work on this got a piece of that pie and i'm with mark brown i want to know how did he do that how did he manage to get a piece of the pie when he had nothing to do with the case itself unfortunately that piece of information the answer to that question is not provided despite all the um the years of prosecuting fast eddie so yeah he's going to jail or he could be going to prison. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I mixed feelings. D on one hand, he's 83 years old. I'm like, all right, can we just like let up on Fast Eddie? On the other hand, what he did uh, in terms of setting back the cause of approved race relations in the city of Chicago, uh, setting up for 20 years of Richard M. Daly after Harold died, you know, when white people came to the conclusion that you cannot allow a black person to run the city because it would just mean chaos, an idea that's still prevalent in the minds of many uh, white power brokers. Um, what he did on that effort was so odious that I can't really feel sorry for Fast Eddie Verdoliak, that the feds caught up with them and they're throwing in the, in the slammer. But uh, yeah, it's a name from the past, D, and it's a name I know most millennials have a hard time understanding that people like me and Mark Brown are still fascinated by the saga, the ongoing saga of the fast one. Fast Eddie Verdoliak. The fast one. Uh, it says here, in an appeal for no prison time, a member of Verdoliak's defense team, talking about his me medical condition, said he has fallen four times in the past two years. Uh, she held up a photo of him after his last fall. His eye looked swollen. There was a bandage on his head. Uh, she said it looks like he was in a fist fight. Uh, the prosecutor insisted that, quote, this is not a sufficient response to the gravity of the crime and to the history and the characteristics of the defendants uh yeah so uh, any uh, any last words here before we move on to the well you know i hate to sound skeptical and cynical and jaded you hate to sound like ben jarofsky <laughs> <laughs> but you know remember that uh the mobster in uh, new york who was supposedly like I, I can't remember his name but he was supposedly senile and he would like walk around in his bathrobe and his defense lawyer go, how can we prosecute this guy? He's senile. He's in his bathrobe. And they would ask him questions. Sir, do you know your name? And he would go, huh? What? So you know what I'm saying, D? And then it turned out like the guy was really, you know, sharp as a nail. It's like that movie I have talked about in the uh, in the past about the, the con man who pretends uh, – He's dim-witted when he's really brilliant. I forget, I forget the, the actor who's in it. But uh, anyway, so I don't know. There's a part of me that's feeling sorry for Eddie Verdoyak. He fell. He's 82 or 83, whatever it is. Uh, let it go, you know? It's having a rough time. On the other hand, I'm like, mm, they don't call him the fast one for nothing. He may have a trick or two up his sleeve. Right. And the judge goes, oh, I feel sorry for you, Mr. Verdoliak. I will not serve you. And then it's, so I'm, I'm free? Yes, you're free. And then we whoopee, he's at a discotheque. Do, 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 do. Yes, sitting, sitting and watching because he's 82. Um, <laughs> that looks fun. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be cynical. Okay, D, I really am. This is my pledge. No more jadism. No more cynicism. It's going to be, if someone says something, I'm just going to believe them. Okay. That's how I'm going to be from now on. Yeah, right now, Verdoliak's listening going, damn, I should have thought of that bathrobe move. <laughs> what was the movie, man? The movie where it was a kid 
And uh, at the end, he fooled Richard Gere was the lawyer. And uh, what's his name? Edward Norton. Oh, was, Primal Fear. Uh, look at you knowing stuff. Is at the end of the movie, he turns out to be brilliant. And uh, Gear thought like the kid was dimwitted, and he turns out to be brilliant. He was faking. Remember that day? No, I don't. Yeah. I, I just for some reason I just remember the title of the movie and who was in it, and uh, I don't know why. <laughs> you know who will know? Ramana Hussein. She's coming on next. She'll know. She'll know the name of the movie. Damn, that was one good tease, pal. All right. <laughs> it's going to be coming up. Stick around, all right? Okay, uh, back to our regularly scheduled news here before those big breaking updates. Uh, we have some new pandemic data to talk about. Uh, will school be back in session? Like actual school where students are in a classroom? You know, with each other? Well, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Nadir Issa. The headline reads, Illinois schools are not COVID-19 super spreaders. Data shows. In all, there were 16 schools statewide in the past month that were identified as having experienced an outbreak of the coronavirus. This is according to state records. And according to Dr. Daniel Johnson of University of Chicago Medical Center, quote, it's safe to keep schools open even as the region enters in or even as the region enters its worst period of the pandemic thus far the vast majority of public and private schools in the Chicago area that have reopened in some capacity this fall have had little confirmed exposure to the coronavirus in the past month a small fraction of schools have had outbreaks where virus transmission has been traced to school buildings while high schools have shown to be more likely to experience covid-19 scares than elementary schools those findings match nationwide figures showing relatively low instances of significant spread in educational settings, especially among younger students, and provide some insight into why health officials nationally and in Chicago have expressed strong confidence that schools are safer to reopen than first thought, even as the pandemic rages on. Now, the Chicago Teachers Union have responded, and we will read what they think in a minute. But Ben, your thoughts on this new data. How are we feeling about this? Well, first of all, I, I, I've said this before. I am completely all over the map on this issue, and I obsessively follow it. Um, I follow politics in New York. We don't talk about New York politics much in this show, as we're a, a Chicago talk show. But, D, I think, I think I'd be capable of doing a whole show on New York politics because I follow it very closely. And it's a raging issue there uh, as well, where Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, wants to open the schools. Uh, and he's being cheered on. And it's a curious coalition of people that are cheering him on. Uh, it's uh, liberals and it's MAGA. Uh, MAGA wants to uh, reopen the school. Donnie Trump wanted to reopen the school because he wanted uh, just to uh, you know undercut the severity, the, the people's notion of how severe the pandemic was, and it would like be the first step to getting the economy going again. So he you know professed to have great great concern for the school children of this country, how they were missing out on an education, uh, even though he never showed any concern whatsoever when it came to help fund the education. We'll get into the uh, into that issue in a little while. So meanwhile, the liberals are saying, yeah, you know, it's really important that kids go to school. There's these inequities between rich kids and poor kids. Uh, and school is really important to bridge those inequities, even though uh, even my, my beloved liberals are very quiet when it comes to the fight to uh, fairly fund uh, schools. They've been quiet in the past, not nearly as uh, vociferous as they should be. So, yeah, this is this coalition that's come together to say how important it is. And I just have, I don't know, D, at the same time, I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm reading your articles. Seems to make sense. Uh, the, the likelihood of spreading the disease is lower in the school, according to all the doctors and the experts. And then uh, here's the headline in today's New York Times. California to reimpose strict lockdown rules as hospitals see surge. Biden will ask for 100 days of masks. Several states ramp up actions. Virus deaths, one day record. They have this chart, this ominous chart in the New York Times, you know, with the little red line going way up to the top. People are dropping dead of the virus. So it's like to quote you, to you, D, it's a mixed message. So it just seems so counterintuitive to be opening up schools at a time when we're telling everybody, stay at home, don't go out. 
So I just, all I got to say about this is, D, thank God I'm not in charge because I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be like a flag in the wind. I'm telling oh, you yeah. the truth, ladies and gentlemen. It ha- the, the pandemic started in March. Uh, ben Jarofsky, you would have been shit canned in April. <laughs> Maybe mid-March. But the reality, I mean, just think of our lifestyle. I'm speaking for myself because, well, Dennis's lifestyle is pretty much like mine. I don't leave my house. I go for a walk once a night. That's it. I'm in the attic doing this show. I'm so afraid of getting the virus. And Dr. D is kind of the same way. He's in his apartment. We don't even did the same. I haven't seen the guy literally since June. Well, you've before. seen me on the computer. I literally haven't seen you because you've got that old ass computer where you don't have a camera. It's just a big uh, giant capital B. I'm going to get one. I really want to. I really want to to be able to, uh, my guest to see me. I think that helps the conversation. <laughs> D, that is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to get a new screen. It's the screen. Monitor. But monitor, thank you. God, I need help from the monitor. So, I, so, uh, so here, oh, it's easy for me. Sitting up here in my attic. Yeah, get back to school. Kitties, learn. Learn stuff. Like I did and Dennis did. Okay? You know, but I mean... I'm saying that when I'm up in my attic. And so, you, I don't know. It's mixed been, messages, Steve. It's been going on for, what, nine months now, and it's just a slippery slope, right? I kinda, We kind of see how this goes, right? Okay, it seems safe to do schools, and then it'll open, and then a month later <laughs> we'll be back uh, going back home. That's just how it's gone, right? Yeah. We're in the middle of a, a pandemic. We desperately need a, And by the way, we're, I've been talking about this a lot, even after the vaccine comes out. Life's not going to be. I think I said this on the show the other day when I went to the dentist's office, all the precautions they took. I went to the dentist on Monday. Uh, they, and they, what a great job of cleaning my teeth. Shout out to the dentist. But I swear to God, it was like hazmat Monday. And it was just the precautions that they took uh-huh. to uh, prevent any possible spread of virus. Uh, including this new suction cup thing. I don't know. Have you been to a dentist lately, D? They, they suction, suction cup, cup thing. I don't yeah, know. They put a like the suction thing. They put it in your mouth. And in the old days, they would put it in your. When you go to the dentist, they put the thing in the mouth, and it sucks all you know the 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 spit, the water in your mouth. Uh, and then they take it out. Now they just keep it in all the time. So you know, <laughs> gagging. And then they you know they take the. You know, the little drill. Uh, that, don't talk. They got, they put plastic sunglasses on you yeah, to yeah. protect your eyes. I mean, it like. Yeah, when I went, uh, the, the dentist, he had a face guard and a mask, and he'd be like trying to talk to me. And I'm like, dude, I can't hear you. Just keep going. Just go. <laughs> Wait, did they use the suction cup? Uh, I mean, like, there's the little thing where you, you know, you do the spit into the, that yeah, basic but thing. Yeah, but now they keep that on in the whole time. So, yeah, it's and, and then the, the the hygienist said to me, you know, it's going to be like this forever, even when they get the vaccine. You know, this is just the new reality. And I'm like, so a, br- uh, a, brand, a brand new dentistry podcast coming on the Ben Jarofsky show. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, got to gift the gab. They can talk about anything to anybody. <laughs> all right. Now, so we've heard from the data. All right. Now we go to the CTU. I am. Um... Right now, um, what's that? Couldn't hear you. But anyway, uh, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Alyssa Cherney, the Chicago Teachers Union. I'm sorry. This is the Chicago Tribune. My apologies. The Chicago Tribune. Let's just go ahead and now redo that and we'll edit it into the podcast here. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and Alyssa Cherney. Ever notice how he takes his mistakes out? Ever notice that? Mine, I'm like stumbling. Oh, that'll be good. Oh, dude, I'd be here all night if I had to do that. (laughs) I don't make that much money. The The Chicago Teachers Union bashed the city's reopening plan for public schools on Thursday, calling for specific health guidelines and more thorough protocols before it can support bringing any students into classrooms in early 2021. Uh, Here's CTU President Jesse Sharkey minus the car horns. Uh, We are in the process of putting forward demands in the city about how our schools can open. To be clear, CTU is not advocating schools close. CTU is saying if we're going to do school, any plan has to have three elements to it. 
safety. There has to be an element of equity and there has to be an element of trust. Sharkey also insinuated that CPS is rushing the process because of, quote, political pressure to jumpstart the city's economy and to enable more parents to resume working. The virtual event took place as Illinois saw the highest seven-day average of COVID-19 deaths since the pandemic began, setting a national record. In Chicago, the seven-day rolling average positivity rate stands at 11.6%, with Black and Latino communities seeing the most cases in deaths. Uh, That's according to city data. Uh, In the wide-ranging CTU discussion, teachers listed a litany of problems with the plan, from a lack of basic sanitary supplies before the pandemic to the logistics of teaching in dual methods for students in person and those who opt to remain at home. Ben Jarofsky, your tweets. Well, their Sun-Times story uh, really gets at uh, the division between uh, the Chicago Teachers Union and CPS. I have talked about this yesterday. I've talked about this many times before. I do not understand uh, the reluctance of the Lightfoot administration to treat the Chicago Teachers Union as a partner in this matter. When it comes to restaurants, Sammy Toya, the Restaurant Association, come on in, have an egg roll. We're with you. Remember, remember the the when Lori Lightfoot urged people to go to restaurants. We're going to close restaurants on Friday for indoor dining, so it was like a Wednesday. Go to restaurants for these next two days, so they don't get hurt. I'm like, what the? What kind of messaging is that? I mean, if we're closing it on Friday, it's for a reason. It's dangerous. Why would you urge people to go to a restaurant? But that's the kind of cooperation. That's because the Illinois Restaurant Association contributed money to Lori Lightfoot. She doesn't see them as a threat. She sees the Chicago Teachers Union as a threat. She's been convinced from day one that Stacey Davis Gates is going to run against her for mayor. And maybe she's right. Maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But all I know is you got to be adults. You have to be partners and work together. And so what does Janice Jackson say in today's bright one? Uh, if about teachers, they haven't even, as far as I know, there hasn't been any kind of serious sit down between Jesse Sharkey and Janice Jackson or SDG, Stacey Davis Gates and Lori Lightfoot. Good God, I don't think Lori Lightfoot would go in the same room as SDG. Uh, and so they've decided they're opening the schools in January. And if teachers don't show up, they're going to get fired. That's right. Fired. We will take your car. We will drive it over you. Whatever Lori Lightfoot says. Here's the quote. If they don't show up to work, it will be handled the same way it's handled in other situations where an employee fails to come to work. An employee. That's it. Shut up and go to work. <laughs> Teachers. And then, and, you know, Civic Chicago. Oh, yeah. That's how you treat them. That goddamn Teachers Union. Civic Chicago, corporate Chicago, they don't like unions, but they hate the teachers union and Lori Lightfoot's no fool. She knows that the most despised union from the center, right? The teachers union, I'd say the most despised union on the left is the fraternal order of police. So she's, she's fighting both of them. And then she goes, look, I must be doing something right. Fraternal order police doesn't like me and the CTU doesn't like me. I don't know, man. If you're going to try to figure out a rational way to reopen the schools, you should be working in partnership with the teachers. You shouldn't be commanding them. Shut up. Sit down. Roll over. Beg. My column for next week is an interview I did with the teacher. Uh Uh-oh. Train going by. Do you allow a pause? But of course, you'll take that out when the masterly. Let's try that mute button. Try that mute button. Let's hear it. Oh yeah. Oh. Ah, too late. Too late. You missed it. You missed it. I had it, but then I had that baby boomer panic. You know that baby boomer panic? Like if you do anything on a computer, it's going to just shut everything down. Oh, yeah, you're going to accidentally hang up. But that's one of these times doing it. But hey, we gotta we gotta hit the bumps in the road before it gets smooth. You know. <laughs> I'll push the wrong button. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Baby boomer panic. Wait. Hold it. Do I push this button? No, but you were talking about uh, your your column coming up, though. Oh, my God. So here's a a school teacher in the city of Chicago, and she's pregnant. So uh, she's at risk. And uh, 
Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson have conceded that at-risk teachers should not be required to go back to the classroom. So she's trying (laughs) to get an official excuse into the Board of Education's bureaucracy so that the Board of Education won't fire her. You know, that's like, that's their first thing. Show, if you don't show up, we're going to fire you. You love being tough with teachers. And guess what, D? It's such a hopeless bureaucratic breakdown. One computer's not talking to another. Her doctor, her doctor's computer doesn't connect with the Board of Ed. She's on the phone trying to get the person at the Board of Ed to make the adjustment. No one's answering the phone. No, No one's responding to an email. It's a typical story of somebody lost in bureaucracy while the clock ticks down to the deadline when she has to go to the school or loses her job. See, that's the example of just lack of working together, just commanding. Because what? You don't like Stacey Davis Gates? You think she's, you know? I don't know, too mean, too aggressive. I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. They really dislike Stacey Davis Gates. So I don't know. I don't know how Chicago's going to get get its act together, D. Uh, if New York's a lot better, I can tell you that. De Blasio uh, and the head of the uh, New York Teachers Union, Mugro, uh, are working a lot more in harmony uh, than Lori Lightfoot is working with Jesse Sharkey or uh, SDG. So... You know, we're the second city when it comes to schools. That's for sure. All right, guys. And, you know, if we've learned anything about 2020 and living life under a pandemic, it's... (laughs) It's a hot, shitty, shitty mess. (laughs) All right, guys, that's our news. Remember, you can find us at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com. Hey, leave your name and where you're from if you'd like us to read it on the program. That helps. And you can call us, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. We do have a phone number, and we proved it on yesterday's program because as Ben was ending the show yesterday, well, someone called, and I didn't know how to shut it off. It just kept ringing while you were talking. It was... Kind of weird. I didn't know how to fix that. So I'm going to work on muting the phone ringer. But you call us and you leave us a voicemail. And there's a good chance we will play that voicemail on the program. Once again, download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning available by 5 a.m. at both the Chicago Sun Times. Oh, not anymore. That's a force of habit there. We'll edit that one out, too. Uh, The Chicago (laughs) Reader website. And wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. All right, I'm going to get a hold of Ramana Hussein right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk with her. It's the Ramana Rundown, and it's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in Ben's attic. 